0: Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and this is 112BK, coming up. One
1: of the things I talk about in the book is like generosity is not a substitute for justice. What is it in us Mm. that every time something's wrong in our society, we want a sugar daddy to fix it?
0: This is the first installment of the 112BK Book Club, a spotlight on our favorite Brooklyn-based authors. We're devoting today's entire show to it, and we're excited to have this talented author to kick it off. His new book is called Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. He's a former New York Times correspondent and a political analyst for MSNBC. We've been wanting to get him on the show for a while and we're happy to speak to him on the occasion of his book's release. Anand Girdardis, welcome to 112 b Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. I was reading some articles and I got really far into the book. I really, I have like 20 pages left. Wow. But. That's I, where I, I
1: reveal everything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> that's when the
1: twist happens. There's exactly. no
0: twist. When did the seeds for this book get planted? What did you see or experience that helped crystallize your thesis? Because as I was reading it, I couldn't help but think, you know, so many of the things that you are involved in or that you talk about as far as like your bio, like TED and Aspen Ideas and stuff are things that so many of the people I know right now are being invited to more and more and more, and they're coming back and feeling one of two ways, either like they are personally going to change the world or... Completely, completely done with elite people talking about changing the world? Mm.
1: It's a great question. I think often a book germinates both kind of slowly Mm -hmm. and then quickly in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think for a long time, you know, you just kind of gather signs around you of Mm -hmm. little things that irritate you or seem weird, or, you know, and often you. Only realize after when when there's a book that like oh yeah that was, I I, every time someone said they were like a social entrepreneur I always kind of like wondered what that was or every time, saw Tom's shoes and I really wondered like who are they giving that other pair to like I just you know so I think there was like a lot of that but more importantly, I think this book began with me trying to understand a paradox of our time that's Mm -hmm. sort of captured by your friends two reactions, Mm -hmm. which is. There's no arguing that we live in one of the most generous times in history.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: More money being given away now than has ever been given away. $410 billion, you know, a couple years ago, or last year in the US alone, which wow. is approaching the level that the federal government spends on non-defense discretionary stuff, right? So we're yeah. starting to have a private level of spending that is on that level of what we do collectively as a, as a government. Every young person from an elite college seemingly wants to go change the world. Yes. Um, one of the guys I write about in the book talks about, you know, he said, when you go to a dinner party today, it's rare. Everybody has, like, the person on your left, their kid is in Africa doing right. an internship, <laughs> and the person on your right, they're starting a social, their kid start a social enterprise to do this and that. So clearly a generous time. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this is the worst time to be a working or middle-class American in 100 years. Mm. The angriest time in anyone's memory, and we are living through the dumpster fire of Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. And frankly, like regardless of how you feel about Donald Trump, you either believe that things were so screwed up that he had to come in and save it, mm-hmm. or that the fact that he is president shows how screwed up things are. But in a way, that means we all kind of agree that things are Something's pretty screwed up. not all right, yeah. And I think you could get, when I travel around this country, it seems to me I don't know, I could get 80% of people around the idea that this society feels rigged to them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like it works in a straightforward way that they understand the correlation between effort and result. Mm -hmm. And we've made enormous progress on emancipating women and minorities and members of various marginalized groups and gender identity and sexual identity. However, that same period that we've done a lot of that from a rights perspective, Mm -hmm. we've also become a winner's take all economy. We have. So I started to uh, try to figure out how do you square all these rich people changing the world in this way and the reality that that this country is as broken as it's been in a long time. Yes. And as I started to investigate that, and, you know, I this is not a book of opinions. This is no. a book of, like, me spending time in these worlds. I right. went on a cruise ship of 3,000 entrepreneurs so your viewers wouldn't have to.
2: Mm-hmm. And I...
1: <laughs> hung out with Darren Walker, the head of the Ford Foundation, as he wound through traffic in a limousine to try to understand how he is trying to talk to people, rich people, about social justice and explain his perspective, et cetera. Right. And what I found spending time in this world is that the, all this giving and this changing the world, it's not just failing to alleviate the problem. I actually became persuaded that it is part and parcel of how we are upholding the problem.
0: Talk to me about it, now
1: Tell me. And I, I understand that seems counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the obvious questions that people ask is like, what can, what can be wrong yeah. about trying to do good? Yeah. People always, yeah. Tope, a tote bag that changes the world. Could be, what's right. wrong with a tote bag that changes the world? Yes. Sure. It's not fixing everything. Mm-hmm. But surely it's better than nothing. What can be wrong with an impact investment fund by some big Wall Street fund, etc., etc., etc.? And I understand that it's a counterintuitive argument. But what I started to see was that these gestures of do-gooding and change by elites aren't just gestures. They represent elites actually trying to take control of social change, Mm -hmm. trying to Columbus social change, Mm -hmm. frankly. And when elites take charge of social change, they change what change is. Yes. They redefine change in ways that favor them Mm -hmm. and don't hurt them.
0: Now, I want to ask you a little bit more about change because we've been repeatedly told that globalization would benefit many, not the few. All right. It's the, it's the trickle down thing. We're going to cut the taxes of the rich and eventually it's going to buoy the rest of the economy because of how the rich spend. That hasn't been the case. I don't think there's anybody at this point who would say that trickle down economics works. I don't know anybody who does. I mean, if you might, but I don't. Should it have been the case ever Or was it really an effort at preservation of the status quo? Because what you're saying here makes me think that it's not just how the rich give. It's also how they teach us to think about giving and about what their place should be in our society and in our world.
1: I love that question because trickle-down economics is a phrase we all kind of associate with the 80s, right? That was like the big Reagan Mantra and it's a very influential mm-hmm. phrase, right? So all you got to do is just let rich people let them do them, mm-hmm. and then the, the rainwater will will we'll fall, know, and... sprinkle on yes. all. Yes, <laughs> I think as you say that idea has been thoroughly discredited with time, mm-hmm. and it's not just trickle down, but also as you say, you know all these other things like globalization and automation. There was a lot of like rich splaining going on mm-hmm. over the last few decades. You know, people from Youngstown, Ohio would say. All the jobs are leaving Youngstown. Mm-hmm. Help. Right? And there'd be a lot of rich explaining like, no, 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 no. Globalization is great. It's it's great. It's In, in, in the aggregate, it's great. We're, it's gonna work out. In the aggregate. Who lives, do you live in an aggregate? I don't live in an aggregate. I don't live in an aggregate. No one, no one actually has ever experienced an aggregate effect. So there was a lot of ignoring. But I think what's interesting now is what, I, the, what I'm describing in this book is not trickle-down economics, mm-hmm. but it's trickle-down social change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the same theory. Mm-hmm. It's, let Goldman Sachs help cause a financial crisis mm-hmm. for which it paid a multi billion dollar fine for malfeasance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We all know what it did in this neighborhood and in other neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. How many people lost their home? I homes?
0: know what it did in Indiana.
1: And then let them create a 10,000 women program. Mm-hmm. Let them go and they'll help some women, they'll mentor them. Then you know what? They'll take some of those women, they'll put them on any panel discussion they can get them on at the Aspen Institute mm-hmm. or at Davos or elsewhere. And you know what happens? Because we're all busy, we sort of forget what Goldman Sachs did to cause help be part of causing millions of people to lose their home. Mm-hmm. And we, somewhere in our mind, those like 300 women they helped kind of ascend in our imagination. Yes. And they purchase forgiveness on the cheap. And a lot of giving, so some, so so some giving functions like that. I should say,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: commit a sin and you kind of buy a papal indulgence through philanthropy that wipes it clean. Mm. But not everything is like that. There are people who you know who've made a lot of money in ways that were not predatory, uh, who are decent people who actually run effective programs. And people often ask me, you know, is there a problem with them?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think even if you made your money honorably, even if you Are actually running programs that help people. That's great. And I'm not against people helping people. Right. But it still often represents a level of power over Mm -hmm. public life Mm
2: -hmm. that I
1: believe is fundamentally incompatible with democracy. So when Mark Zuckerberg decided to Columbus into Newark Mm -hmm. and fix its schools, I mean, at one level, you say, well, that's more than I've done for Newark. Right. 100 million bucks, that's real money. Right. But he'd also never been to Newark. <laughs> right, until right. he did that. Right, right. Maybe he thought it was an airport. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. And and by the way, that that failed. It didn't yes. work. it did fail. It did not go over well. It didn't work, which then makes me think: what happens with somebody like LeBron James, who you know opened? I was just school, at his school. You know, and that's a and, and a lot of people are like, well, at least he made a public school.
1: He's from the community,
0: and he is from the community.
1: He's from that school system. He is. He chose to work within. A Public system hmm I think there are some differences there. Yeah, I think in that case the question is Even if you assume that he's gonna change the lives of those students mm-hmm. How does it go beyond that because the right. reality in a place like Akron is? The schools aren't that way Don't have the graduation rates they do and the other problems they do just because there was no LeBron James there right. are deep systemic issues actually I was just looking at this yesterday there are schools in Cleveland that, uh, in uh, Ohio that receive thirty-one thousand dollars a year in mm-hmm. per pupil funding, Akron gets ten.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's that, that's an issue. You know, what I, one of the things I talk about in the book is like generosity is not a substitute for justice.
0: Yes, yes, generosity is. I not love a the substitute generosity for justice.
1: But I, but I'm not done with why is are some schools getting thirty-one grand a year and others getting ten? It, I mean, I oh I, yeah. I couldn't explain it to those kids or my kids or anybody's kids.
0: A few years ago, I helped raise around $300,000 for schools across the country where kids were in lunch debt. And a lot of people were focusing on the amount of money that was raised to wipe out this lunch debt so that kids were able to do things like eat, or in some cases, they were being kept from graduating because they had lunch debt. And people wanted to focus on that number. Wow, $300,000, that's crazy, you know, oh my goodness. And I just kept thinking, is anybody besides me going to talk about the fact that there never should have had to have been $300,000 raised? Why does the phrase raise? lunch
1: debt exist?
0: How does that exist? What does it mean that that exists? So I'm doing all these interviews and I'm telling, and they keep being like, you had a great idea, and I'm like, That's not the point. Anybody can go do that. I may have had an idea, but people are raising this money in their communities. I wish the people who are raising the money in their communities would also join their school boards. And I wish that they would try to get these laws changed. And I do think you're seeing some people get to that point where they are starting to see through the idea that you can just raise a lot of money and have something be okay. One of the things that I want to talk about was, we talked yesterday on the show about what Nike did with Colin Kaepernick very recently. And they're just It anniversary campaign. And something like that is enough of a risk that it doesn't happen at a corporation without some people there being like, this is worth the risk. Like all the people. And all the people, (laughs) right. And not just like financially, but also socially it is worth the risk to do this. But in your view, are those people just trying to sell more sneakers? Or is it that in an effort to sell more sneakers, there are some deeper problems that don't get addressed?
1: For me, Colin Kaepernick is someone who walks the walk. Mm -hmm. This is someone who's actually about justice, who's willing to basically not do his profession in order to take a stand, and I think most of us would find it hard to live in truth the way he has chosen to. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When Nike chooses to associate itself with that, my concern is not, I mean, great, like that's a good cause to associate yourself with. There are a lot of worse things in the world that you can associate yourself with. My concern is just about the opportunity cost. Are Mm -hmm. they just attaching their brand to his and kind of hitching their brand to him and perhaps trying to sell more stuff, or even if it's not that cynical, just to have a reputational glow because Mm -hmm. of him, or when they have that slogan, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, is Nike telling us that they're actually willing to be more like Colin Kaepernick? Because that would actually require not just a poster. That would actually require doing what a company like Patagonia has done, for example, which right. is actually looking at every part of what you do as a company, not just poster making, mm-hmm. but actually looking at everything you do. How do you pay people? Right. What's it like for women to work at that company? Mm-hmm. When you go to other countries where the media is not breathing down your neck, how do you employ those factory workers in Indonesia? Mm. And the reality is on all those issues, just those three that I mentioned, Nike has a lot of problems. Has always had a lot of problems. Right. And so I think this is great if Nike is apparently the new social justice company. But in addition to simply attaching their brand to Colin Kaepernick taking the knee, I wish they would actually learn at his knee, actually learn from him. How do you actually sacrifice in that way? Because I know when I interviewed someone at the Nike store, who works at the Nike store a few years ago, she described something that is very common in this country but doesn't make it Mm -hmm. any better, a young woman, Trying to make a career, works about 18 or 19 hours a week, tries to get more hours, they won't because they give her too many hours, then, then they have to pay her benefits. Right. Her schedule changes all the time. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to give her two weeks under the ordinances of the city where that Nike store was located. They actually don't give her the full two weeks notice. They give her like 10 days notice, illegal. And she said, you know, we all complain, but we're disposable to them. By the way, they tell her, she said, to keep most of her week free because they don't know when they're going to assign these 18 hours. Basically, you're on call, but you're on not, call, getting, but not getting, paid getting paid.
0: Yeah, that's not right? okay.
1: Also, not legal. I don't know if it's legal where she is. It's definitely not legal in most European countries. Right. And that's the kind of thing where I say if you really believe in believing in something, so you're willing to sacrifice everything, let's see that spirit embedded in everything you do as a company and actually. Be a company learn be more like Colin Kaepernick. Don't just use him Mm -hmm. as a symbol of what you are not.
0: Beyond corporations, how do individuals to be perfect? You know, when because when people become, you know, what we call these elites, when I think about I, I went to Ted this year. I was invited and I went to Ted and there were people who I was walking among and walking with and I just kept thinking, you know, there is a lot of power in this room. You know, we got the main stage and there are a lot of white folks up there talking about the diseases they cured in an African country with the help of a, a local person who is nowhere to be seen right. and is not in that room. Right. And I start to think about what sacrifice really is. Is sacrifice roughing it for a year, for two years, for five years, living in a place that is not as comfortable as a hotel in New York or your condo, wherever? Is that sacrifice? Or is sacrifice deciding that there's only so much money that one person needs and there's a better way to give than what is currently happening and I don't have to be in control? of that, hmm. like is that what, is that sacrifice, is the sacrifice control when you have that amount of money, because I don't know what saf- sacrifice looks like well, when think, you are a certain amount of
1: wealthy. I mean, first of all, it's just funny when you describe those guys, like there's, have you noticed this kind of like fashion thing where like those kind of guys all have like a vaguely ethnic bracelet on their non-watch wrist?
0: What is that? Right? I thought, I, I. I
1: feel it's become the symbol of like, I was recently in an unnamed African country.
0: Yes, it's like right? yes, it's like the guy in college Just who has the Wakanda, tribal tattoo Just back from all that where is being some
1: uh doing some Work. I mean, I don't. I haven't. I've never actually asked anybody about the motivation of their other wrist bracelet. It is so it's a weird. Thing.
0: <laughs> it's so weird that you say it because and as then you soon get as you said these like really it, rich like...
1: guys who have like three or four. Like some, yes. with, some with beads, some with some leather. With, just like
0: uh, some are just like the braided thread. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you got like... the nice
1: watch on this hand. Yes, and then opposite you got some of you know just just some really really like very ethnic looking. Yes, bracelets. Anyway, yes. I really think your question is actually so important because. I think the idea of sacrifice is the idea, one of the ideas that has suffered most and vanished most in what I call the age of markets. Mm -hmm. In the last 30, 40 years, we've lived under the story that everything can be solved through markets. Mm -hmm. Everyone can become a millionaire. Everyone can become a reality star. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is just pull yourself up and then become famous. And what has suffered is the idea of like service. Mm -hmm. What has suffered is the idea of whether it's serving your country in the military, whether it's serving your country by teaching in a public school. It's not mm-hmm. teach for America, but just like a school just actually doing things that like may not be fun or may not be easy but that are for something larger. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's necessarily individuals fault. There's a culture that's also just told us yes. that grabbing what's yours is the way to go. And by the way, people're not necessarily wrong to do that because our society's been reorganized so that if you don't do that, it's very hard to like make an adult life because yes. housing costs are up and Debt is up and tuition is up. And, you know, if you don't grab what's yours, it's like very easy to to spiral down.
0: We're still a country that very much believes, I think, culturally that even (laughs) even I think really extremely wealthy people um, believe this, too, that even though I feel like they must know it's not true. But anyway, the idea that how hard you work is directly related to what you have. And there are a lot of people here who still think if somebody is a waitress or a janitor if they are a teacher if they are sometimes like a firefighter or a cop even though we praise their service we don't want to pay them more and we feel like if they need more or want more then they should have just found a better job correct and And they should have worked harder
1: so i think on the sacrifice point what we because we don't believe in that and because we actually we say thank you to your service for all these people, which is often a way of saying like, sorry, we can't pay you more. Yep. We have ended up with a culture where we don't know how to make change anymore. Mm-hmm. And we actually don't know how to make the kinds of changes that frankly allowed you and me to be sitting at this table as opposed to someone else. Right. Like that was not done by rich people throwing scraps. No. It was done through movements and laws and changes in policy and the rules of the road and the stuff we share in common. Absolutely. And if you just look back on the history of this country, everything meaningful that has happened, I mean, the reason when you go to the pharmacy, you don't have to think, is this medicine antifreeze or is it medicine? If you travel around the world, you understand that's a huge civilizational accomplishment Mm -hmm. that you don't have to ask that question. Yep. Right, when you go out to eat in this country, you don't have to ponder whether you're gonna get sick. Right? When, you know, I lived in India for six years as a foreign correspondent. Like, you can't go out to eat without pondering whether you're going to get sick. And you get sick right. a lot. And that's life. That's because we have built an infrastructure, a public common infrastructure, that is actually a remarkable achievement that we disparage. And we kind of all, in our mind, think like government's like the DMV. But the reality is this is an extraordinary... Even under Donald Trump, this is an extraordinarily high-functioning society. Yes. In which there is a lot of... Private greatness and private companies that do great things, and private artists and writers and school I and mean, there's a lot of great private things, but it all exists on a platform and a bedrock of public institutions and norms and rules that yeah. allow all that activity to flourish. And we live in an age in which, because that ethic of sacrifice and of anything public, frankly, has so um, our attitude toward it has so tumbled, we've forgotten that we need to nourish. That bedrock. If we want all that beautiful stuff to grow on top of it,
0: one of the things I I don't like to leave people hopeless. Um, if I can, Let's help do some it, hope. if there's some earned hope that I can yeah. offer them, and I feel like your book does. I think it does offer you know some earned hope and some tactics and some things that people can keep in mind as we move forward and think about what giving and philanthropy and elite and changing the world will look like in the future. I, I know people are gonna read the book because there's nobody who's not thinking about these things already. I think you'd be surprised how many people are thinking about this right now. And look,
1: now. I already disappointed my family by not becoming a doctor. <laughs> so, y'all, y'all need to read this book, okay? They're gonna
0: read this Don't book. Don't embarrass
1: me in front of my family.
0: No, they're gonna read this book. This <laughs> yeah. is an amazing book. But I would just love for you to like just let people know like this isn't how it has to be. Because somebody's gonna come to you with this book and go, how do I not become... The people who you are totally. talking about in Look,
1: here. Look, I actually think Donald Trump, without intending to, has done this country an enormous favor. Mm. I think he has exposed the bankruptcy of the idea of outsourcing change to billionaires. Yes, He actually was not the first person who conned us into that. He, he's actually, I think, and I hope, the end of this long con. Mm-hmm. But... We got conned by, you know, and, and they were not all bad people. Nope. You know, Mike Bloomberg, Zuckerberg. I mean, I frankly like the Oprah presidential fantasy. Like, mm-hmm. w- like, why is it? In, what what is it in us
2: mm.
1: that every time something's wrong in our society, we want a sugar daddy to fix it mm. or a sugar mommy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? We don't want the best activist. We don't want the person who's actually led the best change. We don't want the best governor. We have some great governors. Why is it that we want these rich saviors? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's actually just about them. I think it's about us. And so the optimistic message of this book is we got to stop outsourcing the changing of the world to rich people. Mm -hmm. We should take it back. That can sound like a big, grandiose thing, but let me put it very simply. The next time you see something in your society you don't like, don't, don't look for a Tom's Shoes solution. As much as those shoes are very comfortable and give a pair to someone in some unnamed African country where people get the bracelets. Look for a solution to that problem that is public, that is democratic, that is institutional, that is universal, that actually solves the problem at the root for everybody. Whether you are interested in education, whether you're interested in empowering women, whether you're interested in helping poor countries, Mm -hmm. there are solutions on each of those issues that actually involve solving the issue at the roots. Mm -hmm. And there are solutions that are part of this elite charade. And I think it's well within our reach, with the clarity that Donald Trump has given us about the utter bankruptcy Mm -hmm. of of a kind of billionaire revolutionary, that it's time for us to take change back.
0: Anand, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank thank you you so much for the work you've done on this book. I hope many, many people read it, and I hope your parents, you know, and I know how parents can be sometimes, I hope they go, well, it was okay. Not long before
1: he passed away my grandfather living in India it's like so you know so so what are you what are you studying you're studying history you studied this you becoming a writer um said you know well you know you can always say so you're gonna do engineering like after that or like when are you, when, when are you gonna study that engineering <laughs> so you know God, it's a long work of redemption when you I choose to it. become a writer I
0: get it <laughs> I, I'm a writer too and I totally get it but thank you so much
1: for thank you for today. having
0: me thank you 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It is also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Ariana Rosas, Kritzi Roberts, Naeem Van, and Emily Vagoshian. It is recorded by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hageseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. And it is edited by Mira Al-Rahim. Our executive producers are Assis Isham, Jonathan Leif, and Sasha Mathias.